coming off the heels of last week's episode talking to Jesse Theron about sinking funds, how she uses them, why she uses them, how they can be helpful in her budget. I thought it would be helpful to then record my own episode talking about why I choose not to use sinking funds. Like I said in the episode with her, I don't think they're a bad thing. I think that a lot of people could benefit from them, especially if you're trying to go from, I have no budget or organization behind my money, to I want to be on top of this and I want to be handling unexpected expenses. I think they're a great asset. So in today's episode, I'm going to talk about what the savings accounts are that I do have and why I choose not to repeatedly add small amounts to them. Armoire makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles will show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. You guys know I'm all about finding ways to minimize both clutter and overspending. If you're looking to reduce your clothes spending while still having new styles to try, this is for you. I have a couple events coming up that I'd love to have new pieces for. With the clothes I got from Armoire, I can have multiple high-end options for the price of one outfit. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash debtfreemom. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash debtfreemom to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. I started using cash envelopes back in, I think, 2016, 2017, when we were really trying to get on track with our money, paying off debt, adding to our savings account, all that good stuff. I tried having or I did have cash envelopes for lots of different things because I had a part-time job that paid me in cash. I was a tutor and they paid me in cash. And so I just went ahead and used that cash and divvied it up into different envelopes. But those were really used for our regular spending. I remember having a coffee envelope. Each of us had a fun money envelope. I had a groceries envelope. I didn't do one for gas because you had to go inside to pay for gas. But I did use that to keep myself organized. Once I stopped having that part-time job where I was paid in cash, I stopped doing cash envelopes and instead shifted to having my money organized in my budget and all staying in my bank account. So when it comes to saving for me, unlike Jesse, I am a spender. When I have money that seems superfluous, it seems extra, it seems unallocated, my natural tendency is to try and figure out how I can go ahead and spend that money because it feels like extra. It feels like it would be inconsequential if I went ahead and spent it. So I found that when I tried to do too many sinking funds and having them really, really organized for clothing and kids and cars and home and vacation, if we weren't actually going on a vacation, I found myself constantly pulling money out of those and using it for things that were not truly unexpected expenses. They were not truly overspending. It was just like that money feels available. When I shifted away from that and instead left my savings accounts empty, and yes, I did actually leave them empty. At Ally, there is no minimum balance amount, so I didn't have to have money in any of these accounts. When I left them empty and then had a specific purpose and a specific amount and a specific date in mind, that's when I started to see momentum with those extra savings goals where I was actually able to stick to what I wanted to do because there was a deadline. 
I've talked about this before. I now know that I have ADHD, inattentive ADHD. And one of the things that we thrive on is urgency and deadlines and pressure. And we are known for procrastination because we wait until the last minute until we can see the due date. It really actually comes back to this term called time blindness, where it's difficult for us to perceive breaking down a larger task into small incremental pieces over a long period of time. And so we squish the entire task into the really last minute. We come right under the wire and we usually get it done, but it appears stressful both to us and certainly to people watching outside of us. So lo and behold, in retrospect, that has been what I have done with my savings as well. I called them and I still call them savings sprints. And again, now in retrospect, it's so funny to see how clearly that aligned with how I was wired that I was operating in a way, I had found a way, this coping mechanism for still being able to save up for things that I wanted to save up for, but in a way that fit into how I was working, how I prioritized my money and my transfers into savings. So what I do now is if there is no intended purchase or due date in mind, I don't try to save up for those things. So for me, this applies to things that are almost never an emergency. Home improvement, clothing, My fund money is always gone every month. I have a savings account for Kyle because he likes to put his fund money into a separate account and save it up month after month and use it later. I just spend my fund money. I already know what I'm going to use my fund money on next pay period, and it doesn't even start for a few more days. So that's just the natural. I just I like to spend the money and that's fun for me. And that's the whole point of fun money. But I don't need a Carly fun money account because there's never going to be extra that needs to build up. What I found was by doing away with those categories that seem to just ultimately be going into savings and coming right back out for some other purpose. What I now do is simply build them into the pay period budget when I perceive an actual need. So for example, let's talk about clothes. I try to budget for a quarterly clothing run for the kids. I have four kids, ages almost three to almost nine. And what I do is every quarter, I look at my budget and it's broken down by quarter, basically with our six pay periods on each tab. And I will plan about $150 per quarter to go towards clothing. So I will set that up in my budget by including that expense in that line at a certain pay period that makes the most sense, typically when the season changes, because that's when the, you know, it goes from cold weather to warm weather. And then all of a sudden we realize that nobody has shorts and t-shirts that fit them because all of the clothes that fit them are winter clothes. So what I do is I plan for that in the budget. And then when that pay period comes, I actually go shopping. And I say, okay, this pay period includes $150 for kids' clothes. So I'm going to go to Once Upon a Child and stock everybody up. And I make a whole event out of it. I make a list. I go through everybody's clothes. I write down what their sizes are, how many of each thing they need. And then I go there. I stock up for the quarter. And then I don't go again. So shopping for kids' clothes for me is not a perpetual activity. It's not something I'm doing a little bit of here and there. It's something that I'm planning out in advance a quarter at a time with a sufficient budget and sufficient time to be able to do it diligently and effectively so that I don't have to keep coming back and buying a shirt here, pants here. Now, do I occasionally have to you know, order a pair of pants when somebody grows and we don't have anything that fits them? Yes. 
But on the whole, it's not something that I'm doing all the time. What I was finding with something like a sinking fund was because I didn't have this natural tendency to allow the money to build up month after month is that when I was putting, let's say, $50 a month into clothing, I was spending it because it was there, not because I perceived a need. So for example, $50 a month into a sinking fund for clothes is the exact same amount of money as $150 a quarter to close. But when I do the quarterly shopping, and I know this is my quarterly shopping, I get efficient and I start to pare down what I need versus what I want. If I were to just have the $50 a month in kids' clothes, a new month would come around and I'd be like, ooh, $50 to kids' clothes. What looks cute this month? What would be fun? What does anybody want? You know, kids, let's just go to Target and walk around and everybody pick out a shirt that they want. And so it would all go to that kind of stuff that wasn't actually being perceived as being helpful to our budget. And then lo and behold, we would still need the socks and the shoes and the pants when they grew out of it. So then I would end up spending more than the $50 a month because I blew the $50 a month on fun stuff that didn't feel necessary and that I didn't have money for the things that did feel necessary. So I've started to switch as many things as possible from those small monthly amounts being set aside to waiting until I feel a need. Now, the important thing to do in that is to be willing to spend the money when there is a need. So for example, I don't budget adult clothing in advance at all. I let it come up as a need and then I rework the budget. And in this way, I feel like my spending is so much more lean because I look at my budget and that tells me what to spend. And so if I don't have money in a adult clothing category, I'm not naturally prone to just being like, oh, well, the money's there. I might as well go spend at the store. I wait until, for example, Kyle, if he says, you know, I'm changing out my capsule wardrobe. He does a capsule wardrobe. I'm switching from winter to spring and I know that I'm going to need two pairs of shorts and two pairs of short sleeve shirts. I will go into the budget and I'll look at the next couple pay periods and I'll figure out where I can put, you know, $50, $60 into adult clothing and necessarily, that will mean that something else needs to go down by $60. And oftentimes, it's our goal. I run a lean enough budget that I can't just drop $60 into an unexpected category and make random adjustments in other things. I usually run a lean enough budget that if I add $60 for something, it usually means our goal, which for us right now is primarily investing for retirement, is going to go down by $60 that pay period. On the whole, I have found that that method still results in us putting more to our goals overall than it would if I was putting $40, $50 a month into six or seven different categories and then overspending in those categories unnecessarily because the money was just there. So it helps me in the pay period budget to see that even if I'm making one pay period go down by $60 in our retirement fund in order to cover the clothing needs that Kyle has, if I look across all of the pay periods overall, I'm putting a high percentage of our money into that goal. So it's, I don't need to feel bad about it. I, there's nothing to feel guilty about that he you know, needs to replace a couple pairs of shorts. That's a normal expense. So like I said, I have found that it works for me to wait until I perceive a need and then adjust my budget around that need. It also encourages me to practice the discipline of something truly not being an emergency. 
So when I'm like, oh, the, you know, the boys have holes in their pants. It's not an emergency. It's a problem. But I can go and look at my budget and be like, okay, two pay periods from now, I will go ahead and replace, you know, everybody gets one new pair of pants or something. But it's not something that I need to knee-jerk reaction spend immediately because I see something that's a little bit worn down, for example. When you don't have a budget of any kind, everything feels urgent because nothing is urgent, because we have no plan. We have no prioritization for where we actually want things to go. And so it feels like everything is permission. Every time a need comes up in the house, every time the kids say they want something, every time I say I want something, it just all gets bought because there's no method behind the madness. So for me, having those boundaries in my budget has helped me to need to make a plan ahead of time. So when I want to spend might be different than when I'm actually able to spend. But because I have a tool that allows me to sit down and say, oh, I would like to buy this thing. I'm going to look at my budget and figure out when would be the best time to buy that. When would it fit best into the plan? So that's one of my primary reasons for not having sinking funds is that I have found on the whole I have more progress with my goals when I wait until there's actually a perceived need to go ahead and add that to the budget. So for the savings accounts that I do have, I have one called car fund. I have one called vacation fund. I have one called family sinking funds. And inside the family sinking funds, I have it broken down into subcategories, which Ally calls buckets. And so in those buckets, I have car replacement for Kyle. And that's the reason it's not in the car fund is that to me, the car fund is car repairs. So you can do it any way you want. You could call them whatever you want. You can subdivide them however you want. But for me, what I mean by car fund is car repairs, those little things that pop up where you have to take it in and you're going in for a standard oil change and it ends up needing two or three other things that would come out of the car fund. So in our family sinking fund, I have a specific bucket for replacing Kyle's car, and that bucket is full. We're not adding to it right now. We just have that money waiting, just trying to decide when he's going to buy and what car he's going to buy. I also have a bucket inside the family fund for kids' school. So our kids go to private school. We also have one in preschool. And so I put money in there, and then I'm able to pay for their tuition and other expenses related to school out of that. I front-loaded that sinking fund when we sold our home when we had a large payout from selling our house i went to, i went ahead and put everything that i would need for the rest of the school year including tuition payments for both elementary and preschool into that fund and then i pull out of it once a month in order to pay that so that has helped us to be able to adjust to our rental home that has a higher rent than what our mortgage was when we were owning and so i have been able to work that into our budget easier by knowing that our school expenses are already taken care of, essentially. So that's all I have, aside from the Kyle fund, but that's not, you know, I don't really consider that at all in part of my budget. Now, if you were to look at those accounts and see how much I have in there, I don't have anything in the vacation fund. I think I have 150 in the car fund. And then the family fund that has that is divvied up into the car replacement and the school fund and and kids like if kids get money for their birthday I I put it in there that has tens of thousands of dollars in it because of those larger ones that are already full and taken care of so some of them have zero and some of them have a lot 
just like I do in my regular budget, I wait until there's an actual need to start heavily utilizing those funds. So we are going on a vacation at the end of May, beginning of June with Kyle's family. And I do know that starting next pay period, every other pay period is going to have a large deposit into that vacation fund. And so I'll do that four or five times until I have the amount that I think is good for that trip. And then I'll stop adding to it. So I call these savings sprints because I am sprinting to the finish line with my savings, but I'm condensing it into a very short period of time. So there's a short period of time where the money that is going into my goals is lower because I'm contributing more to this specific need, this specific event that is coming up. And then once I complete that, then the amount that can go into my goal bumps back up to a lot more what it was before. There is no right or wrong. I hope that you hear that both in last week's episode with Jesse and in this week's episode for me. We each have found what works well for us, what makes sense for us, what, what helps us feel like we're making progress and protects us from the unexpected. So everyone has a different risk tolerance. Everyone has a different natural tendency towards saving and spending. I, like I said, now have discovered about myself that this ADHD wiring of my brain makes me more prone to find success in very short bursts of focus as opposed to trying to spread something out over a long period of time. My struggle with understanding the concept of time over a long extended period leads me to not find as much success in sinking funds with little bits of money here and there. So that's how I've chosen to go about my savings accounts is I have them set up, but if I don't have a specific need, I don't use that specific account. And then once I see an actual need that is coming in the short term, which short term to me is six months or less, then I work into my budget the transfers into savings needed in order to cover that expense. Once we need to spend that money, I pull it all out, we spend it, and then I wait until I have a specific event in order to start using that savings account again. When it seems like there should be more left in your bank account and your money seems too complicated to keep track of, the Debt-Free Mom custom budget service takes the guesswork out of your next budget. Send us your real numbers and you'll receive two versions of your pay period budget. The original, so you can see how your money is currently flowing, and a suggested budget with changes we recommend to prioritize your money goals. Sign up for your custom budget today at debtfreemom.co slash custom. So I mentioned this in the episode with Jesse, and I want to expand on it a little bit more in this episode as well. When I am doing custom budgets, sometimes people have no budget at all. They are not putting any money into savings, and they're like, I, I just have this goal of 5000 to vacation a year and 1000 to Christmas, but it's a goal without a plan. And so they're not sure how they're actually going to achieve that. Or if I put that number into their budget, for example, 1000 to Christmas a year would be about 83 a month. 5000 to vacation every year would be about $430 to vacation every month. Once I take those amounts that they say they have a goal for annually and I divide that into 12 and add all of those into the budget, they don't all fit. So they create a deficit in the budget that is unrealistic, where if they say, I want to spend 5000 on vacation, but they have these other goals as well, and I add them all into the budget, it's actually creating a deficit for them. And if they were to take that amount that they hope to spend and divide it across their year, they would 
run out of money. In those situations, what they need is a plan and then to adjust their goals into the realistic plan that they can fit for themselves. So maybe they can't do 5000 to vacation a year, but maybe if they paid off two or three of their smallest debts, it would free up enough money out of those minimum payments to then be able to do it. So it's never a no, but sometimes it's a not right now. And so having too many goals built into the budget, too many sinking funds, while you're trying to get the ship up and running, can sometimes be detrimental to your progress, can sometimes hold you back from actually seeing momentum. So in those situations, when we are trying to get our very first starter emergency fund, when we're trying to, for the first time, spend less than we make and not have a deficit, not see our savings shrink, not see our debt grow, when we're trying to do those things, we really need to streamline what we are focusing on. So you might have a sinking fund for medical if you have somebody in therapy or who has braces or something like that. And you might want a sinking fund for car repairs because your car doesn't care if you have an emergency fund or not. It's going to break. So those things take priority and they're likely to need to be covered even while you're trying to pay or save up an emergency fund. But things that are tertiary, less necessary, less priority should be lower down both in amount per month and also in how aggressively we're trying to save them up. So if you're trying to get to a place where you're spending less than you make so that you can save your starter emergency fund, we trim back how many things we're focusing on putting into savings so that we leave as much as possible available for your emergency fund. Once we get that starter emergency fund saved up and you start knocking down some of your debts, those minimum payments start to go away and you can start to replace those with a deposit to a sinking fund. For example, if you have a Target credit card that you have $5,000 that you owe on it and it's $150 minimum payment, if we can focus on paying off that $5,000, you're going to free up the $150 a month in a minimum payment. We could turn that into $50 a month in a clothing sinking fund and $100 a month in a home improvement, home decor sinking fund. The same two things that you were charging at Target for on that credit card but couldn't afford, we're now replacing that payment with a sinking fund and would have the funds available to add to that once the debt is paid off. But we wait to do that until we have extra money available. So I mentioned this in the previous episode, and I think it's worth saying again. When we try to send our money into too many directions, it will cause us to feel like we're not making momentum on any of our goals, even though we are. So even for someone who might have a large gap between their income and expenses, let's say you have $800 extra a month between your income and expenses, and we reserve 300 of that for a budget buffer, 150 per pay period, you still have above your budget buffer $500 a month that can go towards goals. That would be like having five sinking funds that could each have $100 a month put into them. Well, if we try to do that with five different sinking funds and we put emergency fund on an equal playing field to vacation fund, what you're going to see is that month after month, you're just barely seeing each of these goals climb. So then you start to run the mental math and you say, if my emergency fund currently has $500 in it, my goal is to have a month worth of expenses in it, and that would be $5,000. If I currently have $500 and I'm trying to get to $5,000, that's $4,500 that I need. 
If I'm only putting $100 a month into that emergency fund, that's 45 months before I'm going to hit that goal. 45 months is almost four years. We can't do that. We cannot take four years to save up a starter emergency fund. Why? In the time that it will take you to fill it up, you will use all of it. It just, the way life works, we're going to have expenses that exceed the size of our paycheck, and they're going to happen at least once a year. And if we're going to take four years to save up just our starter emergency fund, we're just going to have too slow of a pace. The pace of our saving is going to be slower than the pace of our spending. And so we're going to feel like we're a hamster on a wheel and we're not actually getting anywhere no matter how hard we try. But if we take that same amount where we say we have $500 extra a month and we say, I'm not going to do any extra sinking funds just until I get my, my starter emergency fund. If I have to go, from $500 to $5,000 in my savings in my emergency fund, and I have $500 available per month, that means that the emergency fund will be full in nine months instead of 45 months. Let that sink in for a minute. If I say no temporarily to adding to too many goals at the same time to instead focus on the emergency fund, this same person who was going to have a full emergency fund 45 months from now, which is almost four years, can pare down all the goals that they're working on and say, I'm not going to focus on adding to a home improvement fund or a vacation fund or even a clothing fund until I have a starter emergency fund of $5,000. I already have $500. If I get laser focused, I can fill that starter emergency fund in nine months. Yes, you need clothes. I want you to buy clothes. But where could that money come from? It could come from fun money. So you could have personal spending cash that you already have built into your budget before that 800 is available. And you could decide, I'm only going to say that that is what I spend out of the personal fun money. Or you could decide to hit certain benchmarks and then give yourself money temporarily and then go back to focusing on the goal. So for example, if you're trying to get to 5,000, let's say at 2,500, which if you're starting at $500 in savings and then get up to 2,500 by putting 500 a month, that would be four months from now. So you say four months from now, once we hit halfway to our goal, I'm gonna give each of us $150 for clothing. And then the next month, we're gonna go back to our goal of saving up the emergency fund. And then you have about four more months to go getting to the full emergency fund. When you can get laser focused on one goal at a time, you'll see so much more momentum because in that scenario, it was the same person who had the same amount of money extra between their income and expenses, but divvying it up five different ways resulted in an emergency fund that would take four years to fill. And instead of divvying it up, putting it into one goal at a time results in that goal taking nine months instead of 45. So that's why I personally have found that I see more success limiting myself to one or two goals at a time. So I would rather send all my extra money to my goal of retirement right now and then from February to May, focus on our trip, add as much as I can to that vacation fund, and then return to investing for retirement after that. I've been budgeting by pay period for my family for... Almost, I'm coming up on eight years. This summer, it will be eight years. And then I have built budgets for other families for the last three years. Regardless of if you use sinking funds or not, I have just found that having a simpler plan leads to more success than having a more complicated one. 
So whether you choose to use sinking funds or not, have a high priority on simplicity, on ease of use. It should be easy for you to use. If you have to look at a matrix of 20 different tabs on a spreadsheet just in order to decipher what the money in your savings account is actually there for, you have overcomplicated your financial situation. Like many areas of life where we want to find shortcuts or ways to simplify or have someone else just do the dirty work for us and not have to pay attention to it, what actually tends to lead to long-term consistent results is the simple stuff, the small stuff, the consistent stuff. So don't trick yourself into thinking that in order to clean up your finances and find success in your goals, it must be an answer that is complicated and is sending money in lots of different directions and requires four different banks and five different credit cards and seven different spreadsheets. It can be as simple as a checking account, a savings account, and a budget, whatever that means for you, however you decide to divide them inside of that. But it can be as simple as those three things. And if you focus on those three things and having simple consistency, I believe you will find more success than any complex, complicated, sit down and spend five hours doing a budget sort of method will ever offer you. So that's my two cents. That's what I do. I wanted to go ahead and sit down and record this literally right after I got off with Jesse so that we would then have these two episodes that are contrasting. And I hope that you can tell that there isn't a one right way, that these two methods kind of are opposites of each other, and they still have each helped each of our families thrive in the budget that we've had, in the goals that we have wanted to achieve. So maybe you will identify more with one than the other. Great. Give that method a try. I don't want everyone budgeting like me. I want people finding personal success in their budget like I have found. And that may come in a lot of different methods. Thanks for listening to the Debt-Free Mom podcast. If you want to join me as a guest on the show, go to dfmpodcast.com. The Debt-Free Mom podcast is hosted by me, Carly Hill, and is produced, edited, and mixed by Kyle Hill. Music for this episode was written by Kyle Hill. Hit subscribe wherever you're listening to join in with every new episode as we grow our confidence and contentment in our personal finances.